Oh, hello people in podcast land. Welcome back. My guest today is Kyle Eschenroder, and we are talking about his fantastic blog post, What Do You Want to Want? I stumbled upon this at the start of the year and was just totally blown away. Working out what you want to want is the most important fundamental thing that you have to do in your life. We do not want to live a life of regret. And if we're not careful, we can quite easily end up at a place in life that we didn't really want to be or mean to get to. If you follow your default desires, societal norms, your evolutionary heritage, the programming that you've got, the way you've dealt with your traumas in the past, this is what's in store for you. You will be buffeted by the wind of life, just like a kite in the breeze. So today we are learning why and how we need to step into our programming and actively design our direction in life. I adore this topic, and considering it's a subject area that I literally didn't know existed before I read Kyle's blog post, uh, um, it's amazing. I really, really hope that you enjoy this episode and take a lot away from it. You need to go and check the actual blog post out as well. It's a 60-minute read, but it's, it's wonderful, so linked in the show notes below. Go and enjoy it. Thank you to everyone for the feedback about Modern Wisdom University. Um, I'm blown away by that. Again, like just the support from everyone on this show is beyond anything that I've ever had before. So thank you so much. The other thing I wanted to say was I haven't asked for this for a while, but if there's an episode that you've enjoyed recently over the last few weeks or months, please send it to a friend. The only way that this podcast grows is if you refer it to other people. You probably started listening to Modern Wisdom because someone told you, hey, you should check out this guy from the north of the UK. You should see his podcast. It's not that bad. Um, so be that person for me. If you can send it to someone or throw it in a group chat, just find the link, share it to someone. That is the best way that you could repay me. And it helps to keep growing, which means I can continue to access more and more weird and wonderful guests. In other news, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by fitbook.co.uk. If you need a fitness professional, a masseuse, a personal trainer, whatever it might be, you don't know what qualifications they have. Research from the IDEA, Health and Fitness Association, shows that 45% of health and fitness professionals do not have the qualifications that they claim they have. You imagine that, that you turn up to go and work with someone. They say that they have one level. They say that they're a mechanic that can fix your car, and they're not. They're just someone's dad. You're like, no, you do not want to take that risk with your body, right? Fitbook.co.uk are the first company in the UK who provide the public with vetted and monitored health and fitness professionals. Everyone on the site is also DBS checked, and their work is monitored. It's like a trusted trader or a checker trader or whatever for fit pros. So if you are a customer, you can find that new masseuse, that personal trainer that you have been looking for and be assured of their quality. And if you're a fit pro, this is a fantastic way for you to kickstart your client base. The world is reopening. We're allowed to train outdoors now and very soon we'll be back into gyms, masseuse parlors. Is it called a parlor? Massage therapy places. All of these different <laughs> units are going to be reopened and you need to kickstart that client base. You want to be on a website which helps you to be at the forefront of your competitors in your local area. So head to fitbook.co.uk and use the code MODERNWISDOM for 50% off your membership if you're a FitPro. And if you're a customer just looking for a fitness professional, it's free. It's literally free to use. So 
fitbook.co.uk, search for your new fitness professional and make sure that they have the qualifications they say they do. And if you're a fit pro looking to build that client base back up, Modern Wisdom at fitbook.co.uk gets you 50% off your membership, which is amazing. But for now, it's time for the wise and wonderful Kyle Eschenroder. Kyle Eschenroder in the building. How are you doing, man? Very well. How are you? Very, very well indeed. I'm happy to have you on. It's been a long time coming. First and foremost, for the listeners that don't know who you are, why why do you think that I'm speaking to you today? Why do you think I reached out? Oh man, um, that's you know that's a good that's a very good question. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I, I may have had a lapse of uh, lapse in judgment. Uh, no, I, I, I actually, you know, I think it's an interesting time. I know you, you found this article um, about asking ourselves the question, "What do we want to want?" Um, you know, has a lot to do with with um, reevaluating uh, our values um, and and our desires. And I think you know, a lot of us are being forced to do that uh, throughout. The, this this COVID situation, so um, it's, it's kind of a good time to talk about um, talk about that and, and and see if we might be able to do it in a more strategic or skillful way. I think you've answered my my reasons pretty accurately there, man. Yeah, I um I stumbled across your blog post. What do you want to want on your blog? Um, and I was blown away, man. It's a 60 minute read or so and I absolutely adored it and I was 10 minutes in and I was already scouring around online trying to find your email address and it turned out that you already followed me on on Twitter which made everything an awful lot easier um so yeah I have got you on because I I just want to go through this blog post it's one of the most uh fundamental concepts that I've never heard spoken about before and I think there's an awful lot of people listening. I know a ton of audience members who will really benefit from this. So that's that's why we're here. We're going to go through it. So first things first, why is working out what you want to want important? So I think um, mostly because you don't want to live a life that you regret at the end of it, right? Um, <laughs> uh, and I think... I think that when we when we follow our kind of uh, default desires, we're much more likely to, to find ourselves at a place in life um, that we didn't really want to or, or mean to get to. Um, so so I think uh, I think that's you know that's kind of a, the, the the big one. Um, but but that also I mean there's there's a lot of things along the way. Um, it's not like uh, that 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 can benefit from from asking ourselves this question. Um, so actually, you know, I knew you were gonna you, we were gonna talk about this. So I kind of pulled some of my favorite quotes from the article that I think um, emphasize some of these points better than than I could. I love it off the cuff. Yeah. So so um, Ralph Waldo Emerson in in Self Reliance has this line: "My life is for itself and not a spectacle." And I think um, our default desires so often. Um, uh, 
push us towards trying to create a life that is a spectacle, um, something that, you know, looks great to others, but uh, itself feels kind of maybe empty or um, uh, uh, off of what, you know, off center from what, what we would truly want for ourselves. Um, and actually that, that it reminds me, I mean, your audience may be more familiar now with um, the idea of mimetic desire that's gotten really popular since Peter Thiel started talking about it. Um, you know, it's this idea that, that uh, originated with the sociologist Rene Girard um, that basically means that we naturally want what those around us want. Um, so those are kind of our default desires. And, and Thiel in his book Zero to One, he talks about how um, kind of realizing this helped him switch tracks from uh, uh, a legal career that he was, you know, getting really far into and, and had an incredible outlook um, and, and switching into tech, which which made his life a lot, a lot better. I mean, he had better outcomes and um, it was just more aligned with his his true values. Um, I think if you get so if we get stuck in these mimetic or default desires, um, they, they disconnect us from our actual ones. Um, and, and I think there's this, there's a really beautiful, it's a two sentence quote, um, from Proust from Swan's way that gets into, I think the nuance of why desiring, you know, uh, our defaults can be dangerous. He says, uh, to think that I've wasted years of my life, that I've longed to die, that I've experienced my greatest love for a woman who didn't appeal to me, who wasn't even my type. So, so oh, like God. he was, you know, like he was experiencing <laughs> desire, right? He was chasing this woman and he actually like longed to die. Like he was willing to give everything to her. And then at the end of it, he, he realizes that she wasn't even his type. So uh, <laughs> I, I think that, you know, it, 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 it's how, you know, these, these default desires can be super seductive. Um, uh, and if we don't apply some level of awareness, um, you know, they're going to take you places you, you don't want to be. Um, so this, you know, then I'd add just a couple, a couple extra points. So, um, I think, you know, I think that, um, we, we, we've experienced a lot of, um, uh, kind of breakdowns in societal, in trust in society, to the point where I think there's a, a significant portion of the population who is afraid to desire, you know, anything other than, you know, immediate uh, um, comfort mm -hmm. or, uh, and, and I think that, um, you know, reassessing desires and realizing they don't need to be what, what those around us kind of think they should be um, can, can be a really healthy way of rekindling healthy desires. Um, and then also inevitably in the long run, we fall into um, our desires, create our path of least resistance. And in the long run, I think that we all f end up following our path of least resistance. Um, Robert Fritz talks about this really beautifully in his book called The Path of Least Resistance. But um, so I think I think when, if, if we can shape our de desires even a little bit, it can create massive, massive um, changes in in our lives, and and um, it allows us to trust ourselves and you know experience flow more often, right? Like if you can trust your desires to be 
in your best interest, <laughs> then uh, it, it can it can it can make life a, a little easier in some ways. Man, uh, I I really agree. I think it's such a fundamental question, and that's why I found it so fascinating when I began reading the article. And for the people that are thinking, oh, this article sounds great, it will be linked in the show notes below, of course. Um, but to everyone that's listening, ask yourself, what do you want to want? Like genuinely, what do you want to want? Not do, what do you want? Like I want that piece of cake. I want uh, this car. I want whatever it might be. Like what do you want to want? The ability to program our desires to choose our own path is something which has never been gifted to us in as high velocity as it has done right now, right? You know, we have the depth and breadth uh, of freedom that no other society in history has had. The first ever society whose problems are problems of surplus, not problems of scarcity. And with that in mind, it means that you get to do things that you usually wouldn't be able to. But because of this mimetic uh, predisposition that we have, where we reflect the people who are around us and their desires and this path of least resistance, which you mentioned, which is kind of a number of different things, like a genetic predisposition towards certain bits and pieces. Um, and then you compound that. This is the real pernicious thing about it, that you compound that over time and that becomes patterns of behavior, which are increasingly more and more difficult to change. So your desires that you have now, which as we've identified very well may not be chosen, they're just kind of emergent from you never actually looking at what you want to want, over time will become increasingly harder to step out of that valley of, right? Because like a river, it cuts a path that's ever deeper. And then after time, you're like, well, this river's now like Niagara Falls and it's going to take a, a extra human, superhuman effort in order for me to redirect this flow of water. Um, so yeah, I think, man, it's, um, it's a really fascinating, a really fascinating thing to think. And you were, you mentioned there about the, um, the, the, the quote where this guy had realized at the end of his life that it was a woman who wasn't even his type. I was talking to Greg McEwen, guy that wrote Essentialism, and he said he was working with some huge tech, uh, execs from Silicon Valley. And this guy who'd made it to the top of the corporate ladder was very successful, basically said um, that his relationship with his son was breaking down. He has this teenage son who he essentially can't speak to. They can't have a conversation. His son wants to leave the room whenever he enters it. They're just a terrible, terrible relationship, you know. And um, that is someone, Greg said, who won at the wrong game. And mm -hmm. holy shit, if that's not the sort of thing that makes the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. You know, this guy who's dedicated his life towards something that he thought would give him purpose and meaning and a sense of fulfillment and has actually, you know, in every, by everyone's definition, has dedicated himself to a thing, but dedicated himself to the wrong thing with time that he can never get back. Like, man, that's hell, you know? That's hell incarnate on Earth. Yeah, it's pretty terrifying. <laughs> it's absolutely terrifying. <laughs> so, okay, so we, we understand that working out what we want to want is important because it allows us to program our desires, which in an essence in programs our life. 
it forms a foundation upon which our behaviors can draw from. And also I like the idea of it being kind of like a, uh, a trustworthy friend, you know, or a good advisor on your shoulder that if you have designed desires, you know that what you want to want is a, uh, what you want is a good indication of what you should want because it's designed as opposed to emergent. Next up, what should we want? We've decided that we should want design our wants. What should we want? Got an entire mm-hmm. world out there to choose from. Awesome. Yeah. It's, uh, one thing I wanted I want to bring up. Um, there's this there's this great be- before we before I answer that. Um, I don't want to make this sound easy or something. You know, like um, the article was written a few years ago, and I you know it's. This isn't. I'm. I'm not here pretending to have mastered my every desire, right? <laughs> so, uh, so I'm very much like this is very much a work in progress. And do and, as I um, say, not as I do. <laughs> yeah, and I, well, I think of this great line that um, that Confucius had. And so Confucianism was like basically all about reprogramming your desires so that you could um, you would behave properly. And, you know, basically what we're talking about here, your your um, desires would line up properly with what you want to want or, you know, what um, it, it, assuming you wanted what Confucianism was pointing at. Mm-hmm. And he talked about how he measured his progress over decades, you know, not years or months or anything. So I, I do think like simple things, just even stopping and asking yourself this question could have huge, huge dividends. But uh, but we're talking about like fundamental programming. Um, and there's definitely ways to um, support change. But but uh, none of them are 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 easier painless. Um, I also <laughs> want to say so. I, I I do think that there are things that we can all agree on, you know, we should, you know, we should want um, that, that we would love to want rather than, um, you know, the opposite. Um, but but I think above all, self-reliance um, matters. So the core thing here that 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 I think is is the most helpful is the question itself. And like you said, um, you actually, you know, kind of invited the audience to consider the question. Um, and I always loved this this Indian sage Krishnamurti. Like every time he would give this talk, uh, a talk, he would he would kind of force the audience into engagement with the ideas. Don't take the ideas and like organize it, file it away, and you know your Evernote. Like this is something to engage with now in real time uh, in reality. So. Um, so that being said, you know, self-reliance matters. Um, there's a lot of, you know, you, a lot of this gets into kind of moral territory. Um, and I am not, uh, suggesting that, uh, I or anyone has kind of moral superiority over, you know, uh, uh, over, over you and what you think, or, or trying to tell you what you should want. The, the suggestion is that if you do dedicate yourself to some degree, to considering what you want to want and shaping those, there will be benefits. But so th- anyway, but with that all being said, I think that there is some that most of us can agree on. So, um, you know, um, ultimately, you know, the idea of wanting what is um, to some degree seems pretty desirable. That's essentially achieving, you know, Nietzsche's uh, amorphity. 
Um, but then if we want to get, you know, more specifically, uh, it seems that you know, life, life would be better if we um, were to want the things that were nourishing for us in the, in the long run. Mm. Um, Naval, the founder of AngelList, actually the other day on Twitter had a really good, good tweet. He said, uh, and, you know, he is, he's good at tweets. The, uh, he said, the modern devil is cheap dopamine. So I think I mean that's like a really <laughs> great heuristic for what we don't want to want, right? Um, you know, we we ideally we are not de- designing ourselves to uh, uh, desire cheap dopamine hits above all. Cheap dopamine hits being like you know candy or the intellectual equivalent, you know, like. Um, uh, uh, a bad, a badly constructed Twitter feed, or or Reddit, or or, or things like that. It goes, it goes to everything as well, right? It goes to um, that reply from a random girl you've never met on Instagram DM when you've got a girlfriend to bolster your sense of whatever. Like it goes to texting in the car while you drive. It go, you know, there's so many iterations of that. Um, That's yeah. a great example. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'd like to and I also I'd I'd like to imagine a spectrum of desires, you know, so um, it's really helpful for me to, uh, you know, envision like the enlightened sage on one side um, and, you know, who who in, you know, for our purposes, whose desires lead to eudaimonia and, you know, human human flourishing. Um, And then on the other side, we have a caveman or, you know, something that's completely driven by their by their id, by their lowest desires. Um, And and this isn't perfect. Right. There's 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 you know, there there could be, you know, there's like the noble savage idea and stuff that I think we can talk about a little bit more later. But um, I think that that spectrum helps you like uh, what side of this spectrum does this desire land on? And I think that's a, a helpful way to orient um, uh, our, our, our desires. I agree. I think that learning what you shouldn't want to want first is a very easy way to, to work this out. So, uh, people who listen to episode 69, the most ever played, uh, on mental models with George McGill will know the power of inversion. It's really hard sometimes to work out what makes us happy, but it's quite easy to explain how you would make a happy person depressed. And then if you flip that on its head and you say, well, okay, if that's how I make a happy person depressed, if I either choose to do the opposite of them, I don't do the things that would cause it, or I do do the things that would stop it, like, that's how I make myself happier. I need to wake up on time and get sunlight and exercise and see friends and drink water and have healthy food and blah, 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 blah. And it's the same for this, right? Like, what would be, when it comes to wants, ask yourself, and this is a, this is a full deep throat red pilling that me and Kyle are giving you throughout today. This is an active podcast. This is not a passive one, as Kyle's already said. But ask yourself, like, what are the things that you really should not want to want? Should you not want to want the appreciation of people who you don't care about that are not in your immediate circle? Should you not want to want a whole host of very shallow, very meaningless friendships and or relationships and or sexual encounters with people. Should you not want, you know, continue to iterate on that as much as you want, but like, ask yourself, you know, what would make, what wants, if you took them to their nth degree, would guarantee that you led an unfulfilled life? Because I, man, I can make a list that's longer than my arm of those things. Um, so I think that's that's a pretty good place to start. But you actually, um, you created a like four areas that you moved through 
in the blog post, right? There was four different sections. Why did you why did you choose those four? I think they were they were pretty fundamental, um, pretty un. I don't want to say not controversial, um, but I think uh, they're 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 pretty uh, well founded, um, and uh, and I actually you know a lot of them came from inversions. So taking desires I had that I felt were unhelpful and figuring out. Uh, looking as looking at them as closely as I could, right, and 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 figuring out where you know, um, uh, how, could they be helpful? Were they pushing me in a healthy direction or not? And if not, how could I change them? Um, and so so um, yeah, we looked at um, you know, want from from you know switching from wanting fame to to actually doing something, making change. Um, from wanting extreme wealth to wanting a frugal heart, uh, from wanting to be extraordinary to wanting the ordinary, uh, and from wanting an easy life to actually desiring struggle. I think, um, I, man, it's it, that, that little sort of paradigm thing that you've created, I really like. And it is high level, wanting an easy life, wanting to be somebody, wanting extreme wealth and wanting to be extraordinary. Those are four very, very common wants that people want, but probably don't want to want. Certainly not when they actually fully appreciate what the implications are of wanting that want. Would you agree? Yes, I would. I would agree fully. Good. Wholeheartedly. Good. Well, it's just as well because I've taken that learning from your blog post, mate. So, um, also, yeah. I am I'm banning you from doing any more caveats throughout the rest of this of this podcast man like your article <laughs> your article is is fantastic and it is extensive not exhaustive and if anyone's got a problem with the fact that you don't go to the nth degree or the end of the earth to explain all of the different possibilities then they can my DMs are open they can come speak to me you're just unloading wisdom today man and everyone else can fuck off so let's get into it wanting an easy life versus wanting a life of struggle why would someone not want an easy life why should they want a life of struggle that sounds shit yeah so so first of all um it can kill you. Um, so, so, uh, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, uh, there's this, uh, Shell did a study of, of these, uh, employees that retired at 55 versus those at 65. And, um, m- the people that retired at 55 died significantly sooner than those that retired at 65. And that's been, you know, that there's tons of studies that'll show you that if you retire early, right. And, um, you live, a normal retired life, you will die earlier. Um, there's also, so like struggle is universal. There's nothing we can do to eliminate it. Um, so if we're able to em- embrace it again, to like whatever degree is possible for you now, um, it, it, it makes life, you know, you're fighting against life a little bit less. Um, paradoxically, right? Um, uh, Kelly McGonigal actually has she she has a ton of great examples in her book, The Upside of Stress. Um, but my favorite is um, is this bit where she talks about how our bodies actually release different chemicals depending on how we perceive a stressor. 
So um, if we think that a particular stressful situation is just bad and regret having to take it on and kind of try to avoid it, our bodies will put out less helpful, healthy chemicals. So it's basically they pump out this chemical mix that's more uh, cortisone heavy, uh, or sorry, uh, cortisol heavy than, than if we embrace the stress as something healthy and that can provide a energy to get past obstacles. So if we allow ourselves to embrace a stressor, we will, our bodies will actually respond different physically and release different chemicals into our system that will, uh, that will give us, you know, healthier, better energy. Man, that's Um, so, that's so fucking cool. And, um, to link that back, you may have heard Sam Harris talk about this. He uses this hilarious analogy, uh, where he says, imagine that spontaneously you just were given the full physiological sensations that you have at the end of completing an incredibly hard, high-intensity workout. Like, you're just driving down the street, and that happens. Heart rate's jacked up through the roof. You're sweating. Like, you're panting. You're tired. You can't breathe. All this stuff. You would be terrified. You'd think, holy fucking shit. What is going on? Am I going to die? Darling, darling, ring the ring the ambulance immediately. Um, But reframe that reframe that at the end of a workout that is the signal you're chasing that is the discomfort you're leaning into because it is a marker that you have done something so that immediately shows people for millennia have been avoiding cold it's been a thing that has killed countless countless humans and now all of my friends do cold exposure first thing in the morning they go and get a cold shower because they see that as a signal, that is something. So that shows exactly, not only is there a, um, a mental reframing, which changes the way that we see that discomfort or that struggle, uh, there's also, as you've identified there, the reframing then is reflected physiologically with how our body responds to it too. That's super, that's super cool. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I mean, the, the examples go on and on. Um, you know, two thirds of, of trauma survivors that have uh, actually experienced post traumatic growth um, uh, and, and the, the difference between the ones that experience growth versus not is is uh, is purely mindset. And, and again, you know, that's to some degree. That's, you know, there is a breaking point. And, you know, Nietzsche's idea that, uh, you know, what doesn't kill us makes us stronger is obviously not 100% correct. He lost his mind and, 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 and physically weakened and, and never, you know, he, he reached a breaking point just like everybody can. Um, but the, the, the uh, amount of, of pain that we, we can take is, is often surprising to us. Um, so, again, um, in adults who late in life um, – actually experienced more struggles throughout their life, reported greater satisfaction with their lives um, and a stronger sense of purpose and made more original contributions um, than those who reported having a more consistently pleasant life. Um, And, you know, there's, you know, Viktor Frankl, the author of Man's Search for Meaning, Mm -hmm. actually considers suffering um, suffering well to be one of only three sources of meaning in life. The others being uh, doing work you consider significant and caring for another person. So uh, you, the case for struggle is is significant. Seems right? pretty. Seems, uh, seems pretty <laughs> bloody robust, man. Yeah. So here's one. Here's here's a, a red pill moment for all of the Type A go getters out there. Two actually. 
Um, I don't know whether you've heard these. You probably will have done, but I'm going to give them to you anyway, Kyle. Um, first one, anybody that's ever owned a business or has ever been to uni or done any group work or worked on a project that they care about, think about what your favorite part, your some of your favorite memories that you have when you're talking to other people about that project. The favorite memory is never like when it was easy going when everything was sweet, when you got to rock up to work late and everything was still moving fine. The best memories, the ones that you recall, are the 3 a.m. finishes where you had to order Domino's direct to the office and you slept under your desk and you grinded and grafted, but you got it You got it done, you got that proposal finished, and then you got it. You did the thing, or you, you worked your out and you're painting the shop and then you finally, it's launch day, and you finally just got there by the skin of your teeth. That is what you remember, that is the the um the love that you have for your project those are the best memories that you have that's a from ben bergeron's chasing excellence podcast a really really eye-opening insight uh, and the second the the other side of that if you're a type a personality who really really wants to struggle especially if you're a business owner tomorrow don't touch your phone don't look at a screen and don't do anything don't read don't meditate don't exercise spend a whole day doing sweet fuck all and that will be that will be the definition of a day of struggle because you're just going to be itching to go and do shit uh but yeah both both <laughs> both of those things kind of uh, map onto that easy life versus wanting a life of struggle somewhere yeah yeah i think that, i love that second that second example it's, it's beautiful um and i, I do i want to say you know I, I know you said no caveat uh <laughs> and this is not this is not really a caveat okay but i just i i you know people can take this the the wrong way right so um this is in no way trying to promote self-flagellation or uh fetishize suffering or belittling suffering that is, you know, super intense and and unhelpful. Um, so uh, it, it's more of a call to flinch less when something bad happens, and to let ourselves try things where that, that are pretty much guaranteed to add obstacles into our life that would that's going to make it more of a struggle, but also uh, very likely more meaningful. So it's not about adding drama or you know any uh, unnecessary drama. It's it's about how you act in the face of struggle that already exists and enabling yourself to choose harder paths in life that uh, will ultimately be more fulfilling, but will also necessitate more struggle. Yes, I like that. I like that a lot. Okay, so wanting an easy life, people think I just want to coast along, but they're going to die sooner. They're not going to find as much meaning. They're also going to have worse memories. Victor Frankl, if Victor Frankl said it, then it is, it's correct, you know? So that's line drawn under that. People should want a life of struggle or at the very least lean into the struggles that they have and embrace them and see them as challenges to overcome rather than uh, kind of curses to bear, I suppose. Uh, up next, wanting to be somebody versus wanting to do something. How does this map? So yeah, uh, and this is this one is is tough right now, right? Because uh, uh, everybody wants more attention, right? I mean, um, and 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 it gets murky, right? Because attention has become valuable, right? Like you can build business off businesses off of the amount of attention you get, right? So 
Um, so this one gets uh, the nuance here is very important. Um, but fame is is, you know, absolutely addicting. It's one of the most addictive things. Um, Adam Smith said that uh, to those who have been accustomed to the possession or even the hope of public admiration, all other pleasures sicken and decay, um, which you can kind of see, like, you know, if you, the, 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 the pain of a waning celebrity is, you know, visceral, and you can see it in their decisions that they make, right? They'll make kind of, they'll, they'll agree to, and sometimes it's about money, but a lot of it is often about uh, getting, squeezing out the last little bit of attention that they can out of a career when they go on like these uh, humiliating game shows and stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and, and another huge, huge danger uh, with fame is that it, it puts our happiness uh, uh, on the whims of, of those uh, to whom we're famous. Um, so the person who seeks fame is, is making their happiness largely dependent on the opinions of other people, right? Um, so those, those people who have the power to build you up have the same power to, to tear you down. And, you know, um, I mean, we see this all the time um, kind of in scapegoating, right? Like uh, everybody will just uh, pick, pick a celebrity who did some kind of, minor made some kind of minor infraction and just tear them tear them apart um kevin kelly <laughs> kevin kelly uh wrote a great article just on advice and he, he pointed out that um anybody who's read a famous person's biography uh should understand that you don't want to be famous um you know <laughs> it, it becomes super obvious that that a life that makes a really great story um is not necessarily the 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 life the life that feels best to live while you're in it. Um, so, uh, and and again, you know, there's 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 obvious value to fame. Um, you know, few things matter more than your reputation. Um, but the point is here that we should you know shift the order. So if you desire um, impact more than attention. Um, then any fame you achieve will be based on a solid foundation and your happiness won't disappear when the attention does. Um, so, so, you know, if somebody makes an individual breakthrough contribution technologically or something, um, they'll become famous for 15 seconds. But in most cases, when that fade fames, as it inevitably will, because they're not the type of people who are doing the work to increase their fame or maintain their fame daily right mm. their happiness doesn't go away because the work that actually is meaningful to them which is creating change creating in this case whatever technologies um uh still is there for them right um and so you know they might feel a little twinge but it's nothing like you know um uh, uh the, the pain that a celebrity feels when when the spotlight is well, fading it's, it's fame for fame's sake isn't it and uh man the i actually think i actually think that in all of the article in all of your blog post the wanting to be somebody is probably the biggest red pill to swallow in there it's certainly one of them and um, I don't know how much you know about my background, but I was on a couple of reality TV shows in the UK. So, like, that's the, where the blue tick wanker and all that sort of stuff comes from. And, Dude, I'm on air with a celebrity? Oh, uh, no, no, please, for the love of this Christ. No, 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 Kyle, stop. Um, but what 
what happened i was on a dating show love island which is essentially if you can imagine what eight weeks of television that looks like what life would be like if instagram put a filter over it all that's kind of how it comes across right um and what that does is people don't get to win that show or be successful on that show because of something that they do or even something that they are it just completely dilutes everyone down to the lowest common denominator the people that win might be very talented at a thing but they don't win because of their talent they win because of the fact that they chose the right girl or guy and have abs and got a tan and said the right thing at the right moment like there was a a real talented boxer on there there's been doctors on there there's been all sorts of people they didn't do well or badly because of anything that they actually did or created or had impact or worked at. They were just there and gifted fame for no reason. And the challenge with that is, as you've hit the nail on the head, uh, like those who giveth can taketh away. And if you put your sense of identity and your sense of happiness around that fame, and that fame is simply hollow, when it goes, you're left with nothing. Whereas if you have it on a foundation, a very firm foundation of it being built on something that you love to do, that you create, that scales over time. That becomes anti-fragile. You know, I'm sure there'll be times inventors, if there's anyone who's listening who's ever got famous and then had it go away, especially if you're an inventor, you might be actually like, right, thank fuck all of those, that attention's gone. I can now actually get back to doing some work. Right. Yeah, I um, if if it's all right, I have a couple a couple questions. Hit me. Uh, one, do you think that uh, the cast and, and I don't know if you, you you've you've kept in touch, but but did life get easier or uh, or I should say better or worse for um, for 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 the majority of people um, after the show? And and two, uh, it, it, do you think your your was 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 the show and kind of recognizing the danger of that uh, fame or that 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 taste of uh, attention that you you, you received um, did that was that uh, an impetus to you know start the podcast and um, explore some of these other ideas? Got you. Yeah, two really good questions, man. Um, so. With regards to the other people on the show, like I, I still follow some of them online. I don't follow any of the girls. Like I didn't speak to the girls while I was on there, so it's pointless me following them when I'm off. Um, but the, the, you know, some of the boys are doing good. Uh, a couple of them are on other reality TV shows or doing whatever. Um, there's certainly a little bit of a case of th- some of the guys have got a taste of fame and are now sort of clinging onto it. Some of the guys have now. Um, embraced normality again and just see it as what it was which was a good experience um the problem is that people want fame for the purpose of being famous they want to be famous for being well known not famous for having done something and Mm -hmm. it's it's so dangerous man like i log on to hear people talking on live streams about their reputation or or what people are saying about them which was created off the back of nothing like it was picked up out of the back of no virtue no no just nothing nothing happened they were selected the same way as a a lightning selects a victim you know 
like just with a Oof. tiny a tiny little bit more discrimination and um i don't know i i think i think that all of the guys certainly from my season i think that they will they're slowly on the path to kind of um integrating those two different worlds like the post sort of fame world or the the post uh, um relevancy world and the the world where they they still were um and then on the second one about kind of my insight into that yeah um it certainly identified in me that um i was playing a little bit of a persona that that route wasn't really the one that i wanted like don't get me wrong man if i was able to get the sort of traction that the top level uh people because the show's kind of got exponentially bigger since i was on it five years ago um if i was able to get that sort of traction because of this podcast or because of other stuff that i do maybe some writing maybe some whatever it might be if i was able to get that kind of traction from something that i genuinely care about i would i would love it but even if i didn't i don't care i do this podcast i don't like i love the audience everyone that's listening i love you to bits and thank you so much for being a part of this journey because it it is the the most fun most engaging uh, most exhilarating activity and project i've ever worked on but in the nicest way possible if you all fucked off tomorrow i'd still do it like i would still be here still speaking to people still still loving this process um and that's the most robust situation i think to be in and you know i i hope everyone that's listening finds a thing in their life and that could be being a mother being a brother you know being a good friend um being a good community server that could be being a high performing athlete or a good businessman or someone who's creative whatever it might be like if you find that thing that makes you lose yourself in it the fame notoriety wanting to be somebody can come and go but the, the the joy of the activity itself remains, and that's really pure. Amen. Yeah, especially um, I think like you pointed to in, in creative creative work, where um, you know oftentimes the thing that you think is best is maybe least appreciated, um, and so you have to uh, uh, and and you know the thing that gets you know. Uh, most popular might make you feel uh, misunderstood or some, you know, like um, almost betrayed by by a fan base. So it's like, um, and and obviously for a long time, you have very little chance of monetizing creative activities. Um, so if you find something that that, that you would do um, either way, um, and, and that you know, if you, yeah. It, doing something for attention is is an incredibly fragile uh endeavor yeah i think that gets it's been uh magnified right by social media because the content often which is actually the best or adds the most value or hits people the deepest is also some, some of the worst performing shit that goes out on there you know like I can put a tra- I can put a trailer out for an episode which has taken two hours to research, two hours to record, another couple of hours of editing, and then put a, a sixty second subtitle trailer together up on on Instagram or something, and it, it it kind of just does okay. Some people support it, some people don't. But then you put up a a, a topless photo with a couple of emojis, and it absolutely <laughs> flies. And you're like, well. Like you gotta, you gotta play the game, and I, you know, it is what it is. You can't hate that, but it's so seductive, right? Because mm-hmm. you think, well, why do I just keep on chasing what people, the the the, the be somebody route, right? Why should I bother doing something 
when I'm not getting the um, volume of attention that I do when I want to be somebody. Yes. And I think, um, I think this is, you know, you pointed to the order mattering, right? Like the, the thing that you care deeply about is what's important. And then you're doing these other activities that are essentially marketing to, you know, to, to, um, sustain and got to play the fucking game kyle got to play the fucking game attention right yeah you got to be able to i mean i'm a marketer right like i i i I, like getting attention is a good game right but uh desiring fame for yourself for its own sake is incredibly dangerous and leads to very very bad places well remember what you said at the very start it was about programming it right Mm -hmm. it was about the, the intentionality of what you are doing like are you wanting the attention or the 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 likes on your photo because you genuinely think that that's going to bring you happiness or are you playing the game because you know that if you do that it furthers something which you truly care about that's the difference between uh matrix and red pill amen Cool. Okay, so we should want to do something not to be somebody. It's going to make us more robust if and when the somebody that we have become goes away. It also means that we don't have our um, sense of self-worth linchpins to other people's opinions of us. And that's so important as well. Like before we move on, fuck man, like being in control of your own happiness or not giving other people that control. Like, that's one of the principal reasons that young people's relationships fail, because they're so terrified of opening up to another person, another human being, that they're going to be like, um, they, don't, they, they don't ever actually end up being fully faithful to them because they're terrified of what that means, or they don't ever end up actually fully opening up to them, you know? Like, it's, it's so important, I think, to um, not have your sense of self-worth leveraged up against other people's opinions for you so we've got we want a life of struggle we want to do something not to be somebody next wanting extreme wealth versus wanting a frugal heart what does that mean so i think um arthur schopenhauer has this line that that i think frames this whole point really Perfectly. He says, money is human happiness in the abstract. He then who is no longer capable of enjoying happiness in the concrete devotes his heart entirely to money. So um, like we just talked about, right? Um, if you are you know, trying to go after fame for fame's sake, uh, that's almost like it's an abstract version of love versus doing something where you actually have to pour love into something right um so so in this case it is you know when we have no other more meaningful or purposeful or uh, uh yeah connection in our life um money is kind of the default uh that we assume will fill that hole um and so another way to look at this is actually another peter Thiel example um from zero to one he he uh, he, he talks about definite optimists versus indefinite optimists. Um, and definite optimists are optimists about something in particular. So um, entrepreneurs tend to fit in this category. So optimistic about, you know, uh, 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 sustainable energy or, you know, and what exactly that should look like. What specific 
piece needs to improve in order to uh, make the world better. Um, and then indefinite optimists tend to, uh, they, 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 they think the world's going to get better, um, but really they, they don't care how. And, um, and these people tend to be in finance and are obsessed with optionality because really, I think really because they, they lack vision, right? Mm. Um, and so if, if, if money is the most interesting thing that you think you can collect, you know, like, and you don't have more concrete reasons for achieving that, right? And some level of optionality is, is incredibly freeing and useful, right? But if if you just keep going on and on and on and playing the same game, it's just, it, 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 um, you, you, you haven't been very imaginative, right? Um, so, so, yeah, so, so like, like fame, wealth is super addicting. Um, and it's easy to think that happiness lies behind the next financial milestone. Um, obviously, we've, uh, uh, if, if any of us who have been lucky enough to make some money know that that's, that's truth. Um, uh, and then, you know, an obsession with extreme wealth also is, is dangerous to your morals. Um, and I think we need some level of humility to admit that. Um, but but um, so on our way to acquiring wealth, we may give ourselves more slack um, in the actions that we take to acquire it. Um, and then once we're wealthy, it's super easy to listen to the sycophants around us that that hold us to less strict moral standards than they do to their peers. Um, so we begin to feel that, you know, moral rules may not apply to us in the same way. Um, so so I think the 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 reframe here that's that's I, I find really helpful actually comes from Tim O'Reilly of O'Reilly Media. Um, he, they produce, he's, he's been in the tech world forever. He produces a ton of like how to um, guides for programmers and things like that. Um, but he, he, he link, he, he, uh, he has this metaphor that um, we, we should think of, of money as gasoline on a road trip. So it absolutely sucks to run out of it. So you have to pay attention to it. You have to make sure that your tank is, you know, uh, uh, reasonably full, but the trip, is not about getting gas at all, right? So that's not the purpose. The purpose, the gas has a purpose to power your trip, but the trip is in no way, like you would never plan a trip around going to the gas station, right? <laughs> Unless you were preparing for a longer voyage. So um, yeah, another another antidote is to, um, to stoke our desire to develop the frugal heart. So that's the switch, right? So obsessed from obsessing to extreme wealth, right? And that's where I, I, I kind of uh, use the word extreme, right? Because obviously wealth provides so many powerful options and, and enables so many important things in life that it obviously matters. But um, from that kind of moving from the obsession to extreme wealth to developing a frugal heart, um, and I stole that from this novel, Zorba the Greek. Um, and it's, it's basically the ability to enjoy the little things in life. Um, so like anyone who goes, you know, who, who likes hiking knows that, that life doesn't get better than a really good hike um, with, you know, someone you love. And, and those cost very, very little. Um, so, so if we're able to enjoy more things about our life as it is, I think we're less likely to go into debt for things that we really don't care that much about or add unnecessary stress to keep us 
up with the you know keep keep up with the consumption of those around us. Um, and I think you know a frugal heart also creates freedom by just lowering our personal burn rate. <laughs> um, you know, so if you can if you can get through life without uh, you know the most expensive cars or um, you know uh, uh, you know brand new clothes every month or whatever you know whatever it is for you, um, if you can lower your burn rate, it creates freedom and possibility and choices that go away once you have. Uh, a certain, you know, uh, main, you have to maintain a certain lifestyle. Man, I had, um, um, I had Morgan Housel, writer on Collaborative Fund and ex-Motley Fool writer as well on here, one of the best Twitter uh, accounts for finance and wealth management stuff. And uh, he said, he has this amazing definition of wealth. He says, wealth is the Ferrari that you didn't buy. It's the square footage in the house that you didn't purchase. Wealth allows you to do what you want with who you want when you want for as long as you want with no one telling you to do anything else and you're like there you go that is what it is it's an a, an allowance of freedom um but it, the, the frugal heart thing the wanting to do something and the wanting to embrace the ordinary those three go together for me i think the wanting an easy life versus wanting a life of struggle actually sits outside of it but this is mm. something that people that are listening uh, might have realized or noticed in themselves during lockdown. I know that I certainly have. Like, I've never paid such close attention or taken such joy from tiny little things. Like, I do a morning walk every morning, and I know the order in which the trees on the street that I walk down on my morning walk, I know the order in which they leafed. I know this one went first and oh, that one went about two days later and this one's got a little bit of flower blossom on it and this one's got that. And like, I know the shape of them. I know the color of them. I know, and it sounds, it's like I've turned into some uh, horticultural fanatic or something like that, uh, which I haven't. But the point is that because the amount of novelty that was going on in my life got downregulated because there's so much less stuff that I can do because the pandemic's brought that down, I'm now paying closer attention to things that were right under my nose the whole time. And I'm now actually taking joy from them, despite the fact that they haven't changed. Like my garden's been the same garden as it's been for five years, but I never actually watched the, the, some of the plants and the flowers in my garden bloom and will, and then leaf and then do all these other bits and pieces. But I'm taking joy from that, you know? And it's like that. there's definitely a, an amount of frugality that's occurred due to the increase or the reduction in novelty, uh, I think, that the, the pandemic's caused. Yes, I, man, I, I love your leaf example. Like, <laughs> the, I, I'm serious. <laughs> oh, you've got horticulturalist over here. I, I, there, well, there's, there's nothing. I actually, I caught myself one day staring at a single leaf on the ground for like 15 minutes. And it, it's amazing that these things that we, you know, normally will just walk by, like you said, if you attend to them, if like just place your attention on them and you keep it there, they cease to be boring and they become like impossibly interesting and beautiful, right? Like these, these, any little mundane thing, especially biological, you know, like organisms, mm. uh, like, uh, like a leaf, like, uh, and yeah, I, I think that that is, that's, that is like the perfect example for developing fruit. <laughs> hey, I've been thinking, I've been reading your blog post a lot. I put it on my, oh, here's one for the people who, uh, listened to the most recent life hacks episode. 
it's a long blog post. I didn't want to read it on my laptop. I used the Send to Kindle Chrome extension to send it onto my Paperwhite, and it was delivered with all of the formatting retained. I was able to edit the font size. Send to Kindle on Google Chrome extension store. Go and get it. It's free, and it will turn your e-reader into an article reader at the, uh, the literally the click of one button, and it keeps the audio, the author's name and has the title in it. It's absolutely phenomenal uh, final thing on the, the frugal heart before we move on another um, morgan Houselism from when i spoke to him i was talking about the fact that i feel like there's a genetic set point it's obviously socialized but it comes so early in life i don't think that you can really class it as that or you can class it less as that should i say you have a spending set point a materialist set point mostly that you've probably inherited from your family, your siblings, your parents. If your parents were very keeping up with the Joneses, uh, they were always buying a new car. If people were spending a lot of money on birthday presents and Christmas presents and um, the relationships were always shows of, of gifts and uh, showering each other in this sort of thing, um, you will have grown up with that. And if you are unable to deprogram that desire, you'd better hope that you get a good performing job that pays a lot of money. Because if you don't, you're going to spend your entire life chasing more and more in an attempt to try and fulfill that materialist desire. Whereas the frugal heart side of this, the person who's just happy looking at a leaf, I know that's, I know that's a, like a stupid extreme example, but the person who would be happy spending an afternoon with the person that they love going for a beautiful walk and having a nice meal on the evening time, as opposed to it being some five-star hotel trip away to the Seychelles with fresh fruit floating basket and f fireworks and all this sort of stuff, you know? Um, the difference between those two in terms of enjoyment is the same, but as you identified, the um, leveraging of the system in terms of how much they need to work to achieve the same level of happiness, because presuming that your the money that you earn is a function of how much you have to work, uh it's totally different so yeah man frugal heart i'm i'm all over it yeah and like you pointed to the point isn't to you know make less and go join a commune or something it's the point is to liberate yourself from the unending need for more so it's not about you know doing less uh it is it is about enjoying more Got you. okay so final section uh wanting to be extraordinary versus wanting to embrace the ordinary we kind of already touched on it with the with the leaf thing right yeah i love how you uh you you, you tied those three together and i think and i think they do you know there there are some some kind of I, th I think that you can really get at some some core shifts by you know if you tug on one of these um you're gonna you're gonna see a lot uh, a lot of a lot of change right in, in maybe unexpected areas um but yeah, so so the idea, you know, th one, this is another one where it's a little bit paradoxical, right? Because there's 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 nothing that I can think of that's that's more common in the West, at least, than the desire to be extraordinary or to be special. Um, and and I think this kind of obsession gives us a, a odd relationship to other people. Right. Because if the ideal is the extraordinary or, or the special, then then who are these people around us who are not extraordinary or special? Like what is their value? Um, and then also, you know, what is your own value? So until you achieve this extraordinariness, you are 
uh, less than, which I think is is unhelpful um, in in a lot of ways. Um, we also we also like one of the other kind of boring things about the desire to be extraordinary is uh, that that <laughs> that. We all basically want to be special in the same ways. Like we want to be more famous, we want to be more rich, we want to be more powerful, right? There's very few of us who are, who are like, I'm going to be extraordinarily uh, loving or kind or caring. You know, like uh, there, there, there's not a lot of that. I mean, there's a lot of people saying that, right? But but they're saying it loudly and uh, in, in a way that that makes it look like maybe they want. Uh, fame more than yes. actual yes. Uh, uh, caring, right? So, um, and actually, one of the things that that kind of I, I anchor to on on this one is um, it comes from from Jack Kerouac, and I, I, I was read this this must have been ten years ago now. This this uh, brain pickings posted a, a bunch of writing advice from from Jack Kerouac, uh, and he and and it was just. To, uh, three words: uh, respect your experience. Um, and you know, so so Emer Emerson later put it this way: you know, he said, "Trust thyself; every heart vibrates to that iron string." Um, and so, the the paradox here is that if we can drop this need to be special and extraordinary, we then free ourselves to be more creative, productive, happy, and authentic. Um, so. If because because we don't have our our sense of what is ordinary, right, is our life as it is. And the, the need to be extraordinary then let, puts this layer of disrespect on our life as it is. Right. Um, so we come from this anxious place of needing this very specific, very like we talked about boring vision of a world of, of, of a new world for ourselves. But if we're able to take a step back, we can free ourselves from kind of that mimetic, you know, like mimetic desire of, of needing what our neighbors have to actually doing the things that are most energizing and exciting and meaningful for us. And this, you know, I return to that Emerson line, my life is for itself and not for a spectacle. Um, it's like, we're not here to to create a life that somebody can go write a book about and and make it a bestseller right like that's not the point of living i mean you know again like i'm not moralizing maybe that's but that sounds like a like an absolute nightmare to me um like the the point is to craft a life that is lived beautifully and well and uh you know for me you know, you know, as, as generously and and uh, uh, helpfully, you know, helpfully, just a good life, right? And um, and you want that to be an internal experience. Um, so so yeah. And I think I think uh, if you can release, even just trying to you know release this desire for specialness, um, it can be it can be really liberating. That sounds, or that might be taken by some people as accepting a life of mediocrity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's so. That's the uh, that's the big caveat on this one is that where, where I was when I was sending this around to people, you know, the the, the article to to get they put you know, that was a big place for pushback. Is you know, uh, yeah, you know, we don't want a mediocre mediocre life, right? Um, 
And so the, the point isn't at all that we shouldn't strive, right? Uh, the first thing we talked about was, was struggle. And the point isn't at all to, to be small. The point is to be more yourself and to, um, Kevin Kelly actually has this really great advice to, um, you know, find, you know, find the thing that only you can do and do that. But you're never going to do that if you're trying for some very, you know, if you're if you're if you're starting trying to be extraordinary. Right. Um, at, at least I, I don't think so. I haven't seen it. The people who end up doing the most interesting, fascinating, unexpected things are those who 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 find some interest that they have in their life and then follow that and follow that and follow that and and amplify that um and and that's where i think some of the most interesting art comes from some of the most like touching uh uh you know uh, uh speeches or or writing right like um someone who 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 sets out to write a book trying to communicate as authentically as possible their idea of you know uh, of something is go it, it's going to be much more pleasant to read and and paradoxically probably have a higher chance of success because they can actually speak to to someone than someone who starts out to write like a magnum opus i'm gonna write my <laughs> great work right and people you can get away with that like if you're already super experienced in ridiculously skilled uh, or, or have some like genius intellect right but like um especially in in starting starting out i think you know if you start out from a foundation of respect for your life your worldviews um you're going to you're going to create something much more stable than if you start from a place of, well, uh, my view doesn't matter until I achieve X, mm. right? Like, um, or I get X followers or, you know, um, so I think, and I think the, the shortcut there is to respect your own life, respect your own struggles and respect doesn't mean give into, right? Like, so, so, uh, if somebody's uh, respecting your experience, if you're, you're struggling with overeating or or uh, laziness, whatever it is, um, it doesn't it doesn't mean um, it, it 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 doesn't mean that you should just keep doing that, right? Like obviously you don't. That's like your deep desire is not to continue on that path, but to look at it, respect it. Um, it actually reminds me that Carl Rogers, this psychologist, has this line. He says, the, uh, the curious paradox is that when I accept myself as I am, then I can change. Um, and I think that's <laughs> what this shift is about, right? Um, if the extraordinary is what who we are not, um, then embracing the ordinary and uh, is, is, you know, embracing who we are now, even if we want to grow. Yeah. So there's a long way of getting there, but I think does that yeah. I I love it. I lo I re I really like the idea of um wanting an extraordinary life being disrespectful to the the person that you are. Um I think it's I think it's very very true as well, you know. Any of the 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 sort of type A people as well that are listening, um you'll know what it's like. You can do the thing that you said that you were going to do and still feel dissatisfaction in having achieved it because that's only the thing that you did at your level of doing 
rather than it being, well, like that person's obviously doing it at that level. I know I did it my way or I, I did that workout. I ran the, the marathon in four hours and 10 minutes, but Elliot Kipchoge ran it in two hours, you know? So like, who, who the fuck am I? Like, it was all right, but you never actually allow yourself to um, pat yourself on the back for your own accomplishments because there's always this desire for more. It's the, it's the inner soul equivalent of a materialist wealth mindset. You know, it's like this sort of hedonic treadmill for self-worth almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's constraining, right? Like it, it narrows your vision, um, which, you know, like in – in certain types of athletics can be really helpful, but in a more kind of like open world game, if you will, it, it's way less helpful because like we talked about earlier, you can get stuck very easily uh, on the wrong hill. Uh, you can, you you can get, you can, you can win the game and then realize you were playing the wrong game the whole time. <laughs> yeah, man. So um, we've gone through the, the four different layers. I want to revisit my favorite passage uh, from the blog, and then I'm going to get you to give everyone who's listening some uh, tips and some advice on how to uh, sustain change. We've red pilled them, but what you know? What are some of the next actions that they can take as they move forward? Also, going to give you an opportunity to um, uh, make any changes that you you've changed, you've uh, altered your mindset on in the last four years since then. But this is my favorite passage, and this was kind of the one I think that made me really fall in love with the article. So. My biggest fear is to live a life I regret. It's easy to fall into the trap Proust is talking about and spend life blindly chasing something you never actually wanted. Blindly following your desires makes you a slave to your impulses, slave to the assumptions of those around you, the advertisements you're exposed to and the confused chemical signals of your body. Our default is to spend our life as rats, blindly chasing the next dopamine hit. This isn't a setting easily adjusted but it's worth shifting our aims and becoming fully human. If we don't pause and ask ourselves what we want to want, we will spend our lives focused on those unhealthy aims defined for us by others and the worst parts of ourselves. We will pass these bad assumptions about life onto our children and loved ones. We will reinforce these boring, desperate defaults in everyone we encounter. To achieve freedom, we must be able to think for ourselves. If we don't cut to the core and program our wants, our desires, then our best case scenario is to be the most successful, rich, or famous slave. If we never peer into our programming, then we may end up being the cleverest rat, but that's hardly worth celebrating. Asking yourself what you want to want can help you avoid wanting the wrong things. That's it, man. You nailed it with that. So good. Thank you, sir. Yeah, that... I I think that that summary did, (laughs) yeah, makes me want to ask the question. Um, So good. Anyway, so we are moving on. First things first, what have you changed your mind about on this article since you did it? Uh, Maybe nothing, but have you changed your mind on anything? So you gave me, yeah, I I love this opportunity to get to, to revisit this. Um, and, and there's obviously, there's a, there's a lot of little things I've changed as a writer, of course, but the, the only big shift that I would make, and, and this is purely a, I think, uh, phase of life situation is, 
um, that I would focus more on shifting into things being nourishing or wholesome in the long run for life, rather than kind of emphasizing the, the struggle um, throughout. Uh, and uh, so, so I think that would be that would be like a big uh, that would be just a, a, a tonal shift, um, because I think I, 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 what what comes off and what I what I think I, I you know, and it depends how old you are. Right. So like a 22 year old is probably needs like the warrior mindset. Right. Like you're fighting you, 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 you. It feels good to be pushing against something constantly. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you get a little bit older. Maybe you have kids like uh, things, things shift. And so I think that, you know, the, the tone and this is why I think self-reliance is so important in in asking questions like this. Right. Like the whole point of this is to explore your desires if you were to choose your desires what would they be um and and yeah so 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 for me now the things that resonate more are are pushing more towards nourishing wholesome kind of sustainable shifts um i'd also i'd also add i think i think there's a lot of value to accepting current desires like we just talked about in the the you know the the ordinary um and and doing more subtle work in uncovering our desires so um so we, we talked about the accepting quite a bit it was you know the carl rogers line the curious paradox is that when i accept myself as i am then i can change so so although we're talking about shifting very deep parts of ourselves we have to simultaneously acknowledge and accept those things um, and then also, I, I think I find shadow work really, really interesting. And that's basically, you know, it, it, for our purposes here, finding desires that aren't quite obvious. Um, and so so uh, Robert Bly offers a really practical example of this in his book, uh, A Little Book of the Human Shadow. Um, he, he suggests that we think about someone that you really hate. You could do this right now. Like. Uh, think about someone you you really dislike, who rubs you the wrong way, or who just drives you insane, right? Um, and, and you you probably think about this person. I am not like that, and my whole purpose in existing is to be not like that, right? So, um, and, and then you know, take a step further. Think about the traits that make you hate them the most, the ones that get under your skin the most. And if we're being honest, if we do this with a little bit of humility, um, we can probably find pieces in ourself um, desires that we have that we really don't like right so we can find the things that we hate most in others tend to be the um, kind of uh, unseen or rejected pieces of ourself um, and I think so I think that's that's really interesting practice um, another source for for shadow, uh, shadow work, shadow hunting um, is Dave Chapman, who's the author of the site Meaningness. But he has a he has another site called uh, Buddhism for Vampires. Um, and so, so uh, another suggestion for, for finding these kind of uh, hidden desires um, is to pay attention to kind of weaker wants or desires that you would normally not act on at all. That kind of are just like a passing, you know, passing wind. Um, and grab hold of them. And, um, you know, he, he calls these velities. Um, Emerson might call them a whim. And, you know, like, so, so if we're trying to discover what we really want, 
out of life or, or you know what what do you you know what do you really want what do you want to learn you know even if you're just looking to learn about yourself a bit more um you know uh, emerson said about this kind of uh, shadow hunting that uh you know he says he hopes that this is better than a whim at last but we cannot spend the day in explanation so i think our uh our talkative minds will often reject our actual wants and then because we've rejected our true natural and maybe more wholesome desires that just happen we we're repressing for for one reason or another maybe it's societal norms or it's inconvenient or whatever those are then hidden and replaced by less nourishing less wholesome desires um so i think um i think you know this isn't something we talked about a lot, but like actually finding your true desires, um, it would, would have been worth um, exploring. Well, let's do it. We've still got time, man. Before we move on to that, actually, I want to I want to say about that that um, the lower lower level of stimulus thing that I mentioned that allowed me to appreciate the trees on my street or that uh, yeah made yeah. you made you focus on your leaf for fifteen minutes. Um, I think that ties in, it's the, the ordinary versus extraordinary thing. And by thinking that life should be grander than it is, we almost feel a little bit embarrassed or, or shameful of some of the wants that we have. So, for instance, I hid my intellectual curiosity for probably the best part of a decade from when I got to uni and became a club promoter and was like big dick on campus, all this stuff, uh, until pretty much until just after Love Island when I got delivered that fatal dose of contrast between me and the guys who were the persona I was trying to play. Um, but I was, I was like, ashamed, not ashamed, yeah, kind of ashamed of it, just a little bit like I didn't think that that was the vision of what a young man was supposed to be. I was around a very alpha male type A mentality, um, and... It just meant that I didn't allow myself to indulge in that. I didn't want to admit the fact that I watched, I, I had a desire to watch space documentaries on a nighttime. I was embarrassed about my empathy. I thought that it was a, sh- a sign of weakness. The fact that I, I genuinely feel discomfort when I see someone else suffer. And I can't get over that. I was like, oh, that's not what a, a courageous alpha male does. That's not what a man's supposed to do. They're supposed to be able to deal with things, you know? Like, so all of these different bits and pieces I had covered over with mimetic or um, kind of unwanted wants. The want to be seen as a, a a powerful man, the want to be seen as a capable businessman, the want the want to be seen as someone who a, a man who is um, attractive to women because of the stereotypical characteristics that he thinks women find attractive. You know, roll the clock forward as much as you want, uh, and it's only upon doing sufficient introspective work to find out what my truth was that I've actually been able to embrace now that not only as tongue-in-cheek desires, but as proud parts of me. Like the fact that I have crushing, crippling empathy 
is sometimes sometimes inconvenient, but I'm proud of it. You know, like, why shouldn't I be proud about the fact that I desperately care or that sometimes when I see a dog that looks really happy, I want to cry? Like, why should I feel upset about that? Why should I feel embarrassed about that? Why should I feel embarrassed about the fact that I've got this intellectual curiosity? Because if I hadn't allowed that to remanifest itself, I'd be two and a half million downloads less without a podcast or a project that I care about. But the fact that I did do that, has permitted me to do this thing and meet all these cool people and connect with a, an audience that loves the project and then find random strangers on the other side of the planet like yourself, get a piece of work that I think is fantastic, and then use my show as a delivery system to then try and distribute that understanding and learning to make thousands and thousands of other people's lives better. You know, like if that's not an argument for trying to deprogram the wants that you haven't worked out if you wanted to want, like, I, I don't know what it is. Yeah, that's, that's incredible transformation. What do you, um, what was the, the impetus or what did those first steps look like? Um, were they big? Were they small? You know, like, uh, was it, was it, you know, letting yourself put on that space document or like what were some of the do you remember <laughs> yeah. some of those like um, early yeah good good question again with that so i think um i think that starting to see it was it was a good time for it to happen because it was the advent of the jordan peterson era and oh, yeah it was a time when sort of 2017 just as he was coming to the forefront, just as Rogan was really, really starting to pick up speed and you could learn from someone like Ben Shapiro or Sam Harris or Brett or Eric Weinstein or uh, John Peterson, whoever it might be, there was like tons of mindful content floating around and um, you were just able to swim in it, man. So that was that was a big part for me. Like learning to tell the truth was the, the single biggest change that I made um, and hopefully... Today, we have encouraged people that there is huge, huge value in understanding what their own truth is. So you'd mentioned, uh, you'd, you'd mentioned something that you thought that we could revisit. And then I also want, to, um, also want to look at some of the tactics that people can use to reinforce wanting the right things or how we can make ourselves want the right things. Uh, so, so I was actually talking the, the examples of the shadow work. So the... Um, you know, uh, recognizing that uh, the the people who you hate the most likely are useful mirrors to find desires in yourself that you've repressed, um, and the exercise of kind of paying attention as closely as you possibly can to whims or kind of um, little quiet desires that you 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 normally would just ignore and kind of look into and give those a chance those are the two kind of strategies ah, that i, I would i, I need uh, to forgot i need to forgot man i've got another one for you real mm -hmm. real small one um anyone who's thinking oh like this all sounds well and good chris like it's cool that you found a passion um but i don't know what mine is think back to what you did between the age of eight and 14 for fun Think about some of the stuff that you did there. There's this example, the world's best color picker. It's a lady. And um, she got asked on this interview, to, like, so she makes these amazing designs for 
um, different clothing companies or different interior design uh, companies and stuff like that, selecting just the quite the right shade of, of pastel pink to go with this shade of pastel blue and blah, blah, blah. And um, somebody asked her on an interview, so what are your qualifications? Why are you so good at this? And she said, well, I, I, you know, I've done a lot of continuous professional development, this, that, and the other, but really um, it all stems from when I was nine and for Christmas I got the biggest box of Crayola from my mum and dad that I could get. And, and just ever since then, you know, I've just loved matching colours. I've loved doing that. And I think back to my childhood between the age of 8 and 14, and what was I spending a lot of time doing? I'm an only child. So I was listening to audio books, like audio tapes, like mm. His Dark Materials by um, Philip Pullman, like 40 tapes, 40 double-sided tapes <laughs> back to back across three tomes, like 60, 70 hours. And what is the 2020 audiobook if it's not a podcast? So mm-hmm. that's a good that's a good way, I think, to kind of look at some of the things that used to bring you joy, especially if you've spent a long time perhaps um, mapping over that with societal norms and path of least resistance and all that stuff. Think back to what you did as a kid. Think back to the stuff that you enjoyed. Yeah, that's that's perfect, man. I, that's a that's an awesome example. That's super cool. I love thinking of you running around with like tapes in a <laughs> backpack or whatever. Just yeah, man, it was cool. It was really cool. Okay, so how do we make ourselves want the right things? What are some of the tactics people can use to reinforce wanting the right things? So the article has a ton. I don't want to you know use up our audio here to go through too many of the the little ones, but I think you know the the core ones are uh, your community. So paying really, you know, um, do the people and communities you spend time in want to want the same things that you want to want? So, um, you know, and this is, you know, uh, CrossFit is like obviously an incredible place for someone who wants to desire to work out. You know, there's there's few better places to go if you want to you know, really want to work out. Um, I think of like worship communities um, for people who want to get, you know, uh, grow spiritually in some way. Even, you know, so um, and this these all are you know, various sizes and play different roles and and affect different desires. So like uh, I've been experimenting a lot with book clubs just as ways of even with just me and one other person where we're reading a book together and then talking about, you know, it's like picking someone who you uh, want to want like, you know, and and finding ways of just spending more time in their presence. Right. Um uh, your marriage, right? Like your your partner is is obviously a huge, huge. Uh, I mean, uh, I think Ryan Holiday said like that's the best life hack ever. <laughs> I think that's that's, pr- Just that's getting a, really, a good partner. Yeah, like if you can get a great partner whose desires are maybe even a little bit ahead of yours on you know on cer- certain uh, spectrums of these you know desires that we were talking about that that can do a lot of work for you you know and then the 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 company that you work for what's their culture like what is what kind of desires do they do they add so anytime there's people involved i think that's like that's probably the highest leverage area where we can where we can start shifting our desires um 
I think regular reflection, especially journaling where there's a record, right? So you can see a, um, if you if you if you are, are desiring or failing to kind of push yourself in a, in a certain direction, like um, uh, you see that over time. Right. And it's painfully obvious how little attention or how frequently you're um, struggling with a, a certain desire. And I think those reminders go a long way. Um, uh, internal scorecards. Uh, are popularized by Warren Buffett, who he basically you know, talks about how um, he has an internal scorecard for investing um, and that internal versus external. So an external scorecard is, you know, what are the returns on the fund versus internal? Am I executing on my strategy in a way that I um, that I believe is is good, right? Um, and and being able to separate out, you know, this is you know goes back to the, the, the fame versus doing thing, right? Mm -hmm. You If you have an internal scorecard that is measuring what you're actually doing and taking action on, um, that's going to help a, a lot uh, in pushing you through kind of these um, asymmetric activities where you have to do a ton of a ton of hard work that may or not may or may not pay off, um, especially in the short run. Um, and, and, and if you're just using an external scorecard, like what's my follower account, how much money am I making? Um, it's going to, uh, it, it's going to de-energize you very quickly. So I think, um, those three are, are, are pretty, pretty powerful, especially, um, again, the communities, I think everything follows from that, honestly. Well, you're re-jigging the, uh, mimetic predisposition that we have to your advantage, right? Yes, it's, yeah. it's such a uh, it's such a cliche. You are the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. But you got to think now. Like there will be some people in lockdown, some people listening right now, perhaps for whom I am one of the people that they've spent the most time with during lockdown. You know, like they've listened mm -hmm. to this podcast more than they've seen the fifth other the the bottom fifth person in their life. Does that make sense? You know, like some oh, guy yeah, who's working. I mean, a huge gift of podcasts, right? Is they have total control. If, if someone, they're, they're not finding what they need in there, like uh, in the physical area around them. It's so podcast is such a, uh, a low friction way of like um, spending time with different types of Feeling people. Feeling connected, and, you know? Yeah. yeah. yeah so yeah. I, I, I think you're totally right with that. Like um, getting yourself a squad of people who are like the person that you want to be like. And obviously what that, the implication of that is that you need to work out what you want to want or else you're just going to think, oh, well, that guy over there, he's got, he's the one with the Ferrari or he's like, oh, hang on a second. I listened to that podcast with Kyle and Chris and they said frugal heart. Let me, that means I probably need to go back to a little bit more work. And then maybe you're fully actualized and you're like, actually, yeah, I do want a Ferrari because it's shit hot. Cool. If that's you speaking your truth forward. Um, yeah, I, I think that's great. The internal scorecard thing as well, man, like that is the marker of someone who is so resilient. Like everyone will have that friend who just seems not unflappable, but just like they're always on their own path, you know? Like stuff mm -hmm. will go right, stuff will go wrong, but they've just got this higher, higher 
purpose, this kind of road that they're walking. They don't really ever seem to get kind of flustered. If they do have setbacks, they overcome them. I got a buddy, uh, Sonny Webster, who's been on the show twice. A lot of people listening will know who he is. Ex-Olympian, Olympic weightlifter. And man, that guy just keeps on coming up against big setbacks in one form or another. And he just steamrolls them. He absolutely <laughs> flattens them, which is easy when you've got like 28-inch legs. But he completely annihilates whatever happens to him. He's like, oh, okay, cool. That's a thing. But it doesn't matter. I'm just doing my thing. I'm on my path, completing my journey. And he doesn't give a fuck, man. It's so yeah. inspiring. I love being around him. I adore being around him. That's awesome. I I always I always think of of that as somebody is so interested in their own game that they don't have time <laughs> to be worried about their score on a game that they're not playing, right? Like they're they're so fascinated and you know into their own game. Um, and I think that's that's the goal. Bro, that is it. When you are so interested in your own game, you don't care about the score on a game you're not playing. Fuck. Yes. I love it. Um, look, man, any parting remarks, any parting thoughts, any anything that you'd want to leave the listeners with? We've sort of thrown a lot at them. Obviously, the blog post will be linked below so people can go and read it in full. But yeah, anything you want to leave them with? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I just hope you 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 sincerely ask yourself, what do you want to want? Um, especially in hard times, especially when you're being forced to reconsider values anyway. It's a perfect opportunity to say, is that what I really wanted anyway? Is it possible that this is actually an opportunity to to go after what I truly want? Um, and yeah, yeah. So I you know, ask that question over and over and over and over again. Um, and and I, I, I promise it. it uh, it can be helpful. Man, how amazing. Look, where can people find you online? Are you, um, have you got any plans 2020? Are you considering writing any more stuff as well? Yeah, I need to, I need to, it's been, uh, 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 I, yeah, I, I'm on, I'm on Twitter, Kyle Eshin. Um, but I actually, I have, uh, I have, a, a, a draft of something, um, that I've been I've been noodling on. Maybe I'll, I'll I'll have to run it by you. Oh, dude, you got to get it out there, man. If it's if it's even a, a hundredth of what what do you want to want is, then um, you got to get it out there. Look, I'm really glad to everybody that's made it through this podcast. I know there's a lot to take in. I know there's a lot of kind of different concepts, and it can sound a little bit sort of I don't know like erudite and esoteric sometimes, where we're talking about these real fluffy concepts. But I wouldn't have gone out of my way to try and deliver this message if I didn't think it was something that really can move the needle in your life. Like this is, we are, are talking about the fundamental underpinnings of why you are here. And then on top of that, what the implications are of that relate to how you're going to operate within the world. And the things that you do very much so can constitute the legacy of what happens when you're gone, you know? So you should very, very seriously consider everything that we've gone through today. You should totally go and read what you want to want on Kyle's blog, which will be linked in the show notes below. And if you've got any questions, if you want some clarification about bits and pieces, or if you just got some ideas at Chris Will X or at 
Kyle Eshen, which will also be linked in the show notes below. On Twitter, wherever it is that you follow us, Kyle, man, thank you so much. And thank you for your work as well. You know, this is a, this really is a fucking magnum opus of a blog post. So, um, you know, congratulations from someone who's five years late on saying it, but, uh, but really appreciates your work. Thanks so much, man. This has been awesome.